I'll be reading a passage from the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 18, verses 10 through 15. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind them. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. Now we'll be reading the Song of Mary from the Gospel of Luke. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowest state of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has pulled down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his descendants forever. Beautiful reading this morning, wasn't it? Good morning to you. My name's Adrian. I'm one of the pastors here at Carnegie Free. If we haven't yet met, love to connect with you after the service. What a joy it is to be together here today, the week before Christmas. We'll get into our message in just a moment, but wasn't that a great video to look over the highlights of this past year? What a joy it's been to do ministry together, and I just want as pastor here, to thank you for your generosity to our church. There is no way all of those great things could happen, all those wonderful events would have taken place if it were not for the generosity of our church, both with your time and with your energy and your passion and your financial resources as well. So thank you for the ways you've contributed to make great ministry happen in this church and through this church to our community and to our world over this past year. I want to give a quick note though, that if you are planning on making a year-end gift and you'd like to know for tax deduction purposes well, when that needs to be turned in, just be sure it's postmarked by December 31st. Or if you want to drop it off at the church, Nina will be here on December 31st, that Sunday morning, our Director of Finance. So you're welcome to do that at that time as well, as I know a number of people like to do that but before the year comes to an end. In any event, thank you for your incredible generosity to our church over this past year. I'd like to take a moment and pray, and then we will jump in. Anyone else tired in this room this morning? It feels that way, doesn't it? Man, I feel it. 
I need some Holy Ghost energy. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these dear people in here. Thank you for these friends in this room. Thank you for the joy it is to read of the scriptures and to think of this miraculous birth story. And the miraculous story found from the book of Genesis as well. We ask God that you teach us from both of them today. That you would quicken our hearts. You would grant us energy to focus on you. We have many different priorities in our lives. We have all different kinds of things going on. And it's easy to lose focus on you. And so we ask God that you would focus our attention on you for these next moments. That we would be prepared for the coming of your son, our savior, Jesus Christ. Here as we celebrate in this week to come. Thank you for all these friends here. Bless us today as we open up your scriptures. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We can't blame her for laughing, can you? She was 90 years young. And her husband was a cool 100. She wasn't laughing because it was funny but because it all sounded like some ridiculous joke with not any possibility of actually becoming reality. Spring chickens, Abraham and Sarah were not. And yet they are told, here at age 90, that God's still not done. That promise that he had made many, many years ago, he still was intending to keep to Sarah. And so she laughs. you got to understand that many years ago they had fallen into significant failures as they sought to take God's will into their own hands. Perhaps you'll remember that Abraham and Sarah had not been able to conceive of a child. And so Sarah told Abraham to take a mistress. And he did. And the result was a boy named Ishmael who would be the father of another nation. But that's not what God ultimately had in mind for Abraham and Sarah. And amazingly, he forgave them of that great and shameful indiscretion of of taking God's prerogative for themselves, taking God's will into their own hands and, and committing adultery in the process. And he said to them, we learn a bit about the character of God in this moment. He says to them, even there with what they did, I'm not done with you yet. I'm still going to make of you a great nation that will one day be called Israel, that will one day bless all the other nations on the earth. And here it is now. She's 90 years old, and it's never happened. And she learns that she is with child. No doubt she would have been overwhelmed at this moment by fear. Would you agree? I mean, will I be able to pick up that baby? Will my back hold up? How about my creaky knees? What about when that baby's a little toddler and putting its finger in the outlets? Will I be able to discipline that baby? Will Abe and I be able to hear the baby crying through the monitors? Will I be able to nurse this newborn baby Isaac of mine? You know, there's a reason that we typically have children in our 20s and 30s. We're not yet old enough to ask such questions. 
not yet wise enough to ask quest- such questions. So, I mean, here she is. She's asking these kinds of questions full of fear, full of anxiety. Do I have what it takes to be a mother for a newborn baby at this hour of my life? Well, in spite of all of Sarah's fears, we know the story. God breaks through in her life. In spite of all of Sarah's failures, along with Abraham, God breaks through in her life. And in both of the stories though, that we just read in our readings though, this morning, we, saw, we see God breaking through in these two women's lives, in these two historical figures, and He shines His favor upon them. The big idea though, that I hope you get out of these two historical episodes is this, the favor of God has a way of breaking through and interrupting our fears, doesn't it? When you realize that God personally loves you, when you realize that what we just sang about, that I am a child of God, yes, me too, that I get to call on the name of Abba, Father, that I find my identity in Him, that has a way of breaking through our fears and failures as God gives us His unmistakable favor. He broke through all of Abraham and Sarah's preconceived notions of how God should act. If you know the rest of the story, Sarah gives birth to Isaac at that ripe young age of 90, and she raises a wonderful son, and from this family comes this beautiful nation called Israel, to which she laughs with joy at the miracle of God's favor in her life in the most unexpected way. Just a few chapters later in Genesis 21, Sarah says this, God has made laughter for me. She laughs a second time. But this time it's that that belly laugh of joy. First she was laughing at the ridiculousness of the whole thing. Now she's saying, oh, it's true. Oh, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son. In his old age. God looked at me. He smiled upon me. And he gave me his favor. This is true of Mary as well. We heard last week from Pastor Randy. What a great message from Pastor Randy, wasn't that? Heard a great message from Randy on the faith of Mary. And how she had to go through this period of, of angst. Of confusion. And struggle. The scripture says that she was greatly troubled at the news from the angel that she was with child. So she's confused, she's struggling, she's in this place of of anxiety, understandably so. Because Mary is probably 13 to 15 years old, scholars estimate, as a betrothed woman. She's probably 13 to 15 years old. Her her husband-to-be, Joseph, is just a few years older than that. Would you be scared? The prospect of having a baby at perhaps age 14 or 15? Added to that, of course, was the suspicion that this came from adultery because they were betrothed, not yet consummated in marriage. They weren't living together yet. So where did this come from? And so the gossip mill was going about, talking all kinds of news about Mary. And she lives in this hyper-religious culture. How would that shine on someone who turns up pregnant at age 14? 
Okay, she's greatly troubled. You add to all of that, this news from the angel Gabriel, you're not just conceiving a child. The Son of God is in your womb. Smile. It's like, come on. What she's going through in this moment, unbelievable. Now, eventually, Mary, we know, breaks out in song. She, she sings this wonderful song called the Magnificat, which is Latin for, I magnify the Lord. Eventually, she, she breaks out into the Magnificat, but, but first, she surrenders to God. And as she surrenders to God, do not miss this word that preceded that song. Luke one twenty eight. Gabriel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. There's that word again. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. I want to tell you, though, this is God's word for us today as well. Not that we will experience God the same way that Mary did. Of course we won't. But he would say to us, greetings, O favored one. You have received my son. You love me. I have loved you first. I am with you today. Now, Mary, in spite of all of her pain and struggle and confusion, she says yes to God. She says yes to God. And a virgin is going to have this baby. Now, I, I know that there are many people who find this story incredibly difficult to believe, and perhaps you've even been in the boat that because of this story you say, I can't even believe in Christianity. I mean, if I have to believe that, that, that a virgin gave birth to a baby, that a virgin was conceived of uh, the Holy Spirit, I'm not sure if I can believe this stuff. And I understand that. I mean, before I was a Christian, I, I treated this story as a fairy tale. Back 21, 22, 23 years ago, well, when I heard this story, okay, that's, a, that's a fairy tale that's on par with Greek mythology. That's how I saw it. That's just the way I looked at it. But as I think of it now, just, just consider this. If there is a God, could he possibly choose to intervene sometime and someplace? Now, as I look out at the world and the beauty of this world, the beauty of a single sunrise or sunset, the beauty of all the stars in the universe, or you think about the amount of information in a single cell, the amount of, of information in, in a single a strand of our DNA, and it looks like design, doesn't it, if you've studied these things at all? And, and, and you look at the entire world and the universe, and you say, it looks like design. Nothing else that we do turns out beautifully by accident, does it? So could it be that there is a designer behind what seems to look like design throughout the universe at both a macro and a micro level? Yeah, it seems like there probably could be. And if there is a designer who chose to speak and leap the universe into existence, then could that designer also choose to enter in in any way that he sees fit? Including into the Virgin Mary. Yes, of course he could. Okay, when someone says, no, I can't believe in that, but because of the virgin birth, I can't believe in Christianity, but because of the virgin birth, just tell them, well, that's circular logic. You've just decided ahead of time there is no God. If there is a God, then he can choose to intervene, well, whenever he wishes. The question is, is there evidence, but behind our belief that there is a God, and thank you, God, there is plenty. I love how C.S. Lewis puts it in his wonderful book titled Miracles. He says, the miraculous conception is one more witness that here is nature's Lord. He is doing now 
small and close what he does in a different fashion for every woman who conceives. He does it this time without a line of human ancestors, but even where he uses human ancestors, it is not the less he, it is not the less he who gives life. The bed is barren where that great third-party genius is not present. You see, my friends, Sarah and Mary might be the patron saints, if you will, of miraculous conception. Perhaps they shared a few laughs together in heaven over the years. But they're not the only ones to witness a miracle. You're a miracle. Any child that is born is a miracle. You and I and every person that we meet, the people that we spite and we insult, the people that we bless and that we curse, are all miracles made in the image of God. So it's this, more than anything else, we got to understand, it's the favor of God shining on Sarah and Mary that trigger their laughter, that trigger their sense of joy in this moment. And it's this more than anything else, it's the favor of God that leads us to a joy-filled Christmas ourselves. Understanding that God's favor is for you, that Jesus came for this very purpose, that God so loved the world to extend his favor to you and to me. Now, we talk every year about a joy-filled Christmas, don't we? But do we experience it? And why don't we? If I can be so bold as to narrow it down to one cause, it would be this. The problem is we tend to turn the pleasures of this season into the point of the season. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, it's really the same problem throughout the Christian life. We have this tendency to confuse the pleasures that God brings to us in life, the short-term beneficial happiness, the good feelings that God brings to us in life for the very point of our lives. Whatever those pleasures may be, as good as they may be, they are not the point. The point is that we would enjoy God, that we would glorify Him by living for Him forever, and particularly here this Christmas season that we would do just that. Stay with me here as I talk about the blessing of pleasure which God does indeed give to us and the way we can sometimes misuse it a bit. Up on the screen, well, we'll see 1 Timothy 4.4. 4. Would you read this verse out loud with me? I'm tired of hearing my voice all by itself. Come on, join me. Everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Ooh, don't you love that verse? Everything God created is good. Do you believe that? And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Now, some of us want to make that our life verse. But you don't want to make that your life verse. You make that your life verse, you say, ooh, I'll just keep receiving a bit more and more and more and more. But what it's saying here is we need not get legalistic about things. Okay, we don't turn this into our life verse. We balance this tension that God has intended us to enjoy certain pleasures that he brings to us. Think of Psalm 16. Taste and see that the Lord is 
experience him, enjoy him. You think of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And in the Torah, if you read it carefully, you'll see God actually commands Israel to celebrate. Commands Israel to enjoy all kinds of feasts and festivals. He's he's a God that invites us to enjoy great pleasures at times. You go on, what's Jesus' first miracle? Anyone? He throws a party, okay? Um, There are so many instances in the Bible of God inviting us to enjoy good pleasures that he brings to us. Did you know that it was the church, not Starbucks, that invented coffee? It was invented by Ethiopian monks. Mmm. Thank you, Ethiopian monks. Did you know cappuccino was not invented by Starbucks either? Cappuccino was invented by Italian monks. And they said, oh, look at this beautiful little cafe. It's like the same color as our habit, our outfit that we wear. That's called cappuccino. Oh, thank you, E-Free Cafe. You know, there's this unfortunate, silly stereotype, though, that's developed that the Christians are like anti-pleasure. False. Far be it from us. False. There was a, a quote from a journalist by the name of H.L. Mencken, famous journalist back in the early 20th century, and it's so pithy that it became famous. And it went like this. American Puritanism is the haunting fear that someone somewhere may be happy. Also, false. Puritans, if you've done your history, were happy people. They enjoyed life. They had great monogamous marriages. They celebrate some of the best legacies our country has ever experienced. They invented some of the best hymns, wrote some of the best Christmas carols. They developed congregational singing in many different parts, such that now you go just about any place in the world, you will see congregations of Christians singing as they smile. Our God is a God who invites us to enjoy. All of that is good. Now, what's the problem? Again, the problem is we turn all of those good pleasures, particularly during this season, into the very point. And then we say, encore, encore, just one more. Just give me one more. Just one more cookie. Just one more drink. Just one more party. Just one more Netflix episode. Just one more vacation. Just one more of feeding me, myself, and I, tingling my pleasures, getting what I want that makes me feel good. And the the incredible challenge, the incredible trouble with that is if you do it enough, as we all know, it becomes an addiction. And then we lose our affections. Our affections get to be given over to pleasure as opposed to given over to God. Uh, Friends, make no mistake, there's a rivalry for our affections. 
We, we will either give our affections to God or we will give our affections to other things. That's explicitly what Jesus said when he said, you cannot serve both God and he said they're rivals for your affections. He could have inserted almost anything into the back end of that line. You cannot serve God and who knows, just about anything that you can put in there. And then when we say encore, encore, we end up missing the point of the great season that we're in. <clears throat> Moreover, I would just add, what happens in the season when the season ceases to be as pleasurable as it once was? Friends, if you want to experience the favor of God, if you want to experience joy regardless of whatever earthly experiences that you're going through right now, I pray that you would look no further than the beauty of Mary's song and you consider again the magnitude of her circumstances, many of which were not that pleasant. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his great arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forevermore. Here are three things that we can do from Mary's song that help us to grow in the joy of God, to experience the favor of God, which overcomes our fears this Christmas season. We, we see it here in her Magnificat. Begin with this. Rejoice in the goodness of God. This is what she does. Magnificat, magnify. I rejoice in the goodness of God. She says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary understands that she is in need of a Savior, just as you and I, as all of us, need to understand that we are still in need of a Savior. I have to remind myself from time to time that I was saved 21 years ago, but still today, today, I'm in need of a Savior. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She goes on to say, holy is his name, pristine and spotless, Without wrinkle or fault is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He lifts up the humble. She exalts the goodness of God. Just think of the kindness of God. He looks on our lowly estate. He blesses us when we're humble. He cares for us when we're needy. He cares about people that you and I know who are incredibly needy. This is the good, kind, loving character of our God. Pause and reflect and rejoice at the goodness, the loving kindness of our God. Second thing we can do here in this passage is to receive God's mercy, which is given to us personally. Raise your hands with me if you have 
um, a harder time telling yourself that you matter than you do telling other people that they matter. Anyone else? I'm that way. Like, it's really easy for me to stand up here on stage and say, you matter to God, to, to share our, our vision statement, every person matters. But there are days that I look in the mirror and I don't like what I see. And I'm not sure that I matter to God because I'm viewing myself through an earthly lens. But the scripture here says his eye is on the humble estate of his servant. So all we need to do is come to him with open hands and say, oh, I'm needy for you, God. May your eye be on my humble estate. And he's merciful to us right there. The mercy of God, of course, means that he treats us far better than we deserve. And it's not just for other people. Every single person matters. It's for us as well. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. His mercy is for those who fear him. His mercy is toward those who worship him. We rejoice in the utter goodness of God and we remember God's mercy to us personally. Not just to the world, not just to other people that we know who are hurting, but to us personally. He looks upon our needs. And then finally, we remember how God has fulfilled his promises in times past. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about the vital importance of preparing ourselves for Christmas. Can I just pause and ask how we're doing with that? How are we doing? I gave this challenge two weeks ago that we would take some time each and every day to prepare ourselves for this holiday season. And for some of us, it's reorienting things that we say, I'm going to do this in order to catapult hope, in order to prepare myself for celebrating Christ once again. For others of us, it's a certain prayer, asking God to intervene in our families. I'll tell you, for me, it's this. Christmas season can become really routine for pastors. I can only preach these passages so many times. And I've preached them all a number of times. And so they can become very routine for me if I'm not careful. And so my prayer this Christmas season has been, God, would you give me a fresh experience of Jesus this year? Would you give me a fresh experience of his great love? Would you give me a fresh experience of his joy that has come to save us yet again this Christmas season? And the reason that I spend time talking about reflecting and remembering what God has done in the past is because there's so much noise in this world. Can I get an amen? There's so much noise in this world that if we don't still ourselves from time to time, we won't be able to hear the Holy Spirit when he intervenes. So we have to quiet ourselves and say, word of God, speak. Speak to me again uh, this holiday season. Do something fresh, even in me, this holiday season. And then we pause and we remember the way God has specifically answered our prayers in the past. I got to wonder if Mary had her ancient great-great-great-grandmother in mind when she concludes her song in verses 54 and 55 that he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to Sarah, and to his offspring forevermore. 
You see, what God did when he gave Abraham and Sarah baby Isaac is he fulfilled his promise to make a great nation for the first time. And then he fulfilled that promise ultimately for the final time in Jesus through that great, 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 great granddaughter Mary who would then give birth to Jesus who would be our Savior today and forevermore. It's prophecy that has been fulfilled First to Sarah and Abraham. Second to Mary. And now ultimately fulfilled to us. You know, Mary's circumstances remained unchanged. She still would have been the subject of gossip. They were still poor peasants. They still had all kinds of questions that they couldn't find answers to. They still were second-class citizens in the apartheid called Rome. And yet she says, God, your favor to me is bigger than those circumstances. Your mercy to me in my humble estate is bigger than those circumstances. Your gift of a son who actually happens to be my savior is bigger than all my circumstances. I pray that you trust the, this Christmas that Jesus came to bring a joy that is way bigger than our circumstances. Happiness and pleasure, it, it's, it's just all about circumstances, isn't it? If, if, I wanna, if I'm gonna teach my kids one thing, I gotta tell you this, if I'm gonna teach my kids one thing, I wanna teach them that happiness is really only about circumstances and Jesus comes in to provide something that's way, way bigger than circumstances. He comes in to provide joy that will be transcendent beyond things going my way or not going my way. I want my kids to understand that many times things will not go your way. Many times pleasures will not come to you, but still Christ's joy is yours. Pleasure is all about feelings. Joy is about the favor of God upon us today. Circumstances come and go. Joy is based on a rootedness in one who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So if you're lacking joy today, as we go into Christmas, this is what you can do. You can do what Mary did. You can pause and you can rejoice at the goodness of God to you and to our world in small and great ways. Pause and express joy at his goodness. You can pause. You can remember the way he has fulfilled his promises to you in the past. Remember the way he has answered prayers. And you can pause and you can remember that he's been merciful to you personally. Not to everyone else, but to you. To your family. He's given you this life. He's given you breath today. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He's merciful to us right now. The Son of God has come. His name is Emmanuel, and it means God is with us today. The Son of God has come. He identifies with you and me, and we get to find our identity in him. The Son of God has come, and he's still in the activity of answering prayers for us today. 
The Son of God has come, and he seeks to bring good news of great joy to all people, including you, including you. Let's pray for that. Would you join me? Oh, Father, I thank you that you sent your Son, and he's still alive. Thank you, Jesus, that the grave could not hold you, that you are resurrected far from the dead. So when we look at the manger, we remember that you identified with us in our humble estate. When we look at the cross, we remember that you identify with us in our pain. And when we think about that empty grave, we remember that you have conquered all of that and you are still with us, available to us right now. Father, I know that there are people in here who, who long for good news of great joy to come into their lives. And so we just say today, we invite you. We invite you, Lord Jesus. We want to be your friend. We want to be known as yours. We want to be able to come boldly before your throne of grace and say, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father, can I call on you? Will you listen to me? We want to know that you care for us personally so much that you shine your favor on us individually. I wonder if you'd be willing to just raise your hand right now if you would say, God, I, I desire to experience more of your joy that goes beyond my circumstances today. Would you just raise a high? Oh my, most of us, most of us would have to admit that. So, God, we invite you, and we avail ourselves to you, God. We would even commit ourselves right now to take these next eight days to prioritize, focus, not so much on pleasures, but on the birth story of Emmanuel, on the victory story of Emmanuel on the promise that you are near to us today. Would you shine your favor on your people? We ask for it. We believe it in faith. May it be. We thank you in advance, God, for the way you'll shine your favor on us this Christmas. Thank you, God. We trust in you. Through Christ our Savior, we pray.